have a Bible this evening, turn to the book of Mark, chapter number 7. We are looking at the book of Mark, and of course what we've learned, what I've learned in this study is Mark sees the Lord Jesus through the eyes of being a servant. I told you before, I never gave Mark the, the reverence it deserved. I attributed Mark to the leftover gospel. It was a lesser gospel than, of course, Matthew, the king of kings. And Luke, which went into so much more detail, much detail to the life of Christ. And then John's gospel that is just overflowing with love and seeing God, Jesus as the Son of God. So Mark comes along kind of as an as a assistant and just sharing his testimony, bubbling with enthusiasm but not saying a whole lot, was my shameful opinion. Oh, when we view the Lord Jesus through the eyes of being a servant, that he made himself of no reputation, that he chose to come and to serve us with his very life. It changes the whole dynamic of this book, and everything must be looked through that lens. This evening, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, read a few verses, make a comment or two, then pray. Matthew 7, let me begin reading verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. When they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. Many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups, the pots, brazen vessels, and the tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And of course the story continues, but I want to stop that there. I think you got the idea. The Pharisees show up and they catch the disciples eating without washing their hands. My goodness, some mothers would have a conniption if their kids dared pick up a piece of food without eating. But that mother's conniption pales in comparison to the hissy fit these Pharisees threw when they saw the disciples eating without washing. Tonight we're going to look at traditions, but let's pray first. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. What a good day it's been. Thank you for the good service this morning, and thank you for your allowing us to meet together tonight. Holy Spirit of God, would you settle upon this place afresh? I pray, Lord, that you will stir our hearts tonight, and Lord, that you will do the work in us that we need done, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We get kind of funny about certain things, like Christmas. We all have our own way of doing Christmas. It's kind of, kind of a, if it weren't so sad, it'd be funny. 
take this young man, this girl, they get married. And oh, it's a glorious day at the altar. And they go through until Christmas time. And they realize they both have come from back cultures that are quite different. And they celebrate Christmas quite differently. All of a sudden there's a rub and, and there's possibly even a fight because this is how we do it. You have to open up the presents on Christmas Eve. It's, it's in the Bible. And of course the other spouse saying, no, the Bible is very clear. You open on Christmas morning. There's a lot of traditions around weddings. Brides spending so much agony over making sure they get the traditions right. Birthdays. Isn't it funny how different families celebrate birthdays differently? And some families don't care at all. They never celebrate. It's just different traditions. New Year's Eve celebrations. First day of school. Isn't it funny how some parents treat the first day of school? I remember being taken to school on the first day as my mom held my hand and I walked into the class. I remember that. And that was 136 years ago. I remember that. Incredible. We were just talking about this yesterday, but the order of service we do things here. Most of you, if I were to quiz you, could write out the order of service. Because we pretty much do the same thing every time. Would it be heretical if we only sang one song in a package instead of two? Or, God forbid, we sang three songs instead of two. We sing with pianos. What if we had a mandolin over here? Would you leave the church? I remember vividly, because I was the music director for many years, I remember how important having a hymnal in our hands was and what it was like going through the transition of putting the words on screen. And I remember the numbers of people that came and confronted me over that because that's heretical. Now, gratefully, I came here. It was already done. I didn't have to go through all that. It was already done. But just things that, you know, that we hold dear that are traditions. Well, to the Pharisees, washing your hands before you eat was an incredibly important tradition. However, some of the disciples ignored it. For whatever reason, they did not take time. We're not told why they didn't watch. They're probably out in the field going through and just picking up some corn and eating it. Just, they didn't. To them, that tradition was just that, a tradition. But the Pharisees were offended. I found it, I found it interesting. They found fault. Boy, I think the epitaph on the Pharisees' tombstone could say, they found fault. Always looking for fault, pointing their finger at what you did wrong. You did this, you did this, you did this, never realizing those three fingers are pointing back to them. <laughs> it was a cultural thing, largely, largely influenced culturally. Verse 3 and 4, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and tables. <clears throat> it was just expected that you would wash up thoroughly before eating. 
It was linked to, it says here, it was linked to the all-important tradition of the elders, the ruling class, the religious leaders. One commentator writes, when they washed their hands, they washed the fist up to the joint of the arm. The Jews laid great stress on these washings, they called them baptisms, considering eating with unwashed hands no ordinary crime, and feigning that an evil spirit called Shibta has a right to sit on the food of him who eats thus and render it hurtful. I mean, they made a big deal about it. If you eat without washing your hands, there's going to be an evil spirit in your food. It's just like somebody's going to spit in your food. That's how serious they were. It's a big deal to them. Verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? The Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples. The Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples. So pop quiz. In the Bible, if you were going to put a name on a particular individual, and that name would be accuser, who would that refer to? The devil. The Pharisees accused the disciples. They went right to Jesus and asked him why the disciples failed to follow the all-important tradition. And can't you just see these Pharisees? They caught them. They've been waiting to catch them in some wrong, and they did. And oh, they had their chest puffed out. And their veins in their neck were just stretched out, and their eyes were beady. Because they caught them. They caught them. Verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Have you ever noticed how Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue? He never minces words. He simply takes that scalpel out and goes immediately to surgery. It's a heart issue. He called them hypocrites. You're being hypocritical. And why would Jesus be so quick to condemn them? It's because they were accusing. Did you catch that? They came with an accusational, critical spirit. And became, because they came in with one purpose, and that was to accuse, Jesus said, you're hypocrites. And of course, he had plenty of reason to call them hypocrites. They were being very hypocritical in what they were doing. He immediately identified the real problem, and it wasn't their hands. It wasn't the fact that the disciples had not washed their hands. Now, the truth is that the disciples were to put their hands out. They may have looked dirty, but that wasn't the issue because the dirt was on the outside. What Jesus was concerned about was the dirt on the inside. Their heart is far from me. Verse number 7, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside of the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things ye do. Did you notice they substituted the law of God for their traditions? They held on to man's words while ignoring God's words. 
They took man's words and used them as a weapon while ignoring what God said on this side. Verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. They had rejected God's commandments so they could keep their own. Why would they keep their own? Why would they ignore God's? God did a really good job of writing those commandments. There's, there's not one grammatical error, error in those. They're, they're all really good. Why would they come up with new ones? He said they laid aside his commandments. They rejected them in order that they might give reverence to their own made-up laws. Galatians 1.14 in Galatians 1.14, it says, Paul's writing this, of course, to the church. The church is in Galatia. And he says, And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of the fathers. They were zealous in the traditions. In Colossians 2 and verse 8, another one of the, Paul's epistles to the church at Colossae, he writes, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Don't let them spoil you after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not of Christ. Even Peter gets into the act. In, the, in his first book of Peter, 1 Peter 1.18, he writes, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Jesus didn't have a whole lot of good to say about their tradition. He said, your problems deal with your tradition. You're holding up man's laws while ignoring what God said. And then Jesus in verse 10 and following gave an illustration of their ignoring God's law. He writes in verse 10, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. Of course, the Pharisees were right there with him. They believed that too. If you don't honor your father and mother, that's a sin worthy of death. But Jesus said, But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. In other words, there's a way around this honoring your father and mother. There's a way around giving them the honor they're due for to where you would not have to suffer the death penalty. So you can ignore mom and dad if they have all sorts of needs. You can ignore them as long as you bring Corbin, a gift. And if you can bring a gift, then just ignore the folks. If they're starving to death, it doesn't matter. Ignore them because Corban is so important. Now, first off, does that sound like something God would say? Does that sound like something God would say to his commandment to honor his father and mother? Well, that's what God said. And yet theirs was, there's a way around it. Now, they didn't say those exact words, but there was a way around, a sneaky way around that commandment. Verse 12, And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things do ye. So here's the Pharisees out. Their way around this tradition. 
Well, it's a tradition. He's already taught us that their traditions was an ignoring of God's laws. Therefore, what their tradition was very likely was a violation of God's law. The law clearly stated, honor thy father and thy mother, and the Pharisees are bobbing their heads up and down. Amen. Preach it. Amen. Preach it. But ye say the Pharisees had substituted their traditions for the clear truth of God's law. But ye say, God's law says this, but ye say, God, but ye. It should never be a but ye. Just a God said. In Exodus 20 and verse 12, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. In the same book, chapter 21, verse 17, And he that curseth his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. God was serious about this commandment. Corbin. Corbin refers to a gift dedicated to the temple. We're in a campaign of raising money to build this, or to buy this building right here, this, uh, this unit right here. And let's just say that you felt led to bring in a sizable gift, and you put that gift in the offering. That would be your gift designated to the church. And that's what this is, a gift designated to the temple. It came from the free will, sweet savor offerings mentioned in Leviticus. In Jesus' day, it had come to describe the practice of giving large donations to the temple in return for political paybacks and favors. If I give you church, if I give you temple, $5,000. If I give you a new piano, if I put a new heating system in your church, if I put in new pews or new chairs, if I give you new carpet, if I do this, what will you do for me? Oh, you say that would never happen? That would never happen? The honest, simple truth is I wonder how many staff members there are in churches around the world that are there because mama put some money in the offering plate. It would be similar to giving a large gift to the church in return for a favor, such as hiring a family member or having sway in a prominent vote. These gifts would often be given with no regard to the welfare of their parents. One could receive the blessing of the rabbis by giving a large donation, even if it meant leaving their parents in dire poverty. It's okay, it's Corbin. It's okay, it's Corbin. And the rabbis would, eyes would light up when somebody would come and say, I'm going to give Corbin. Oh, they would like that. It's awesome. We're getting more money. Without even a second thought about the commandment. Such a practice, like many others, was a direct violation of the law. But it was allowed, not by God's law, but by their traditions. In essence, it nullified the very law they claimed to revere. The Pharisees were leading their people to make the word of God of none effect by means of their tradition. Verse 14, chapter 7, And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you. Understand, notice now he's called the people. He wants to use this as a teaching opportunity. First of all, it was the Pharisees. The Pharisees came and they accused the disciples. 
Now, Jesus, after calling them hypocrites, he wanted to use this as a teaching example. So he calls all the people within earshot. They gather together. He says, he called people unto him, said, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. It's not what... It's not what goes into the man that defiles them. It's what comes out, Jesus was saying. Now, he's got these Pharisees scratching their head because that doesn't make sense. First of all, he calls all the people and then explained the fallacy of their tradition of, of religiously washing. And then he goes to the heart. Their heart's condition was the important issue. The Pharisees focused on the outward while God looks on the heart. Verse 17, And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning this parable. He saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? In other words, don't you get it? He says something like this to his disciples most every time he teaches. <laughs> you would think they'd start to get it. <laughs> but they don't get it any more than we get it. It takes some time to sink in. Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entering into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all of these evil things come from within and defile the man. Jesus explained the concept to his confused disciples. Let's, let's think about the disciples for just a moment. They had grown up with these traditions. They had been a part of their life. They were conditioned, if you will, in their traditions. So it's no wonder they didn't get it right away. It's no wonder they need some teaching to take them from where they were in their understanding of the traditions to where Jesus was. To make it understand that what they were holding to, what they thought was religious, what they thought was keeping them right with God, making sure they washed their hands was keeping them right with God, to realize that's not the issue. The issue is what's down here. Cleanliness is next to godliness. We all know that. Well, where's the chapter and verse? Oh, man, I know it's in there somewhere. When in reality, the truth is, God's worried about the heart. That's what he's worried about, the heart. Jesus gave object lessons in verse 24. He gave two of them, starting in verse 24. And, and from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into the house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. No matter where he went, Jesus could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek. She was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and 
to cast it unto the dogs? And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. He said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. I always struggle with this story here because it makes Jesus out to be a little unkind, a little rude, is what it sounds like. Now, my mind tells me that can't be because Jesus was not rude. He was not uncaring. So we have to take that out of the picture and look it through the eyes of our loving Lord Jesus. What was he doing? Well, first of all, he broke tradition. He broke tradition because, first of all, Jews don't deal with Greeks. Gentile. She was a Gentile. What was he doing dealing with a Gentile? Jesus traveled to the busy seaport region of Tyre and Sidon. These were seaport regions where, where, the, where the, uh, the, the, the uh, nightlife was just wicked in these cities. Though his ministry had been to the Jews, he dealt now with a Gentile woman. But he sounds like he's showing indifference. Let the children first be filled. Or the Jews. Let the Jews, my people, need to be filled first, lady. Let the children first be filled. And then he says, casting the Jews' bread to the dogs. He was calling her a dog. Now, it's not the same way that sometimes, very inappropriately, some are called dogs today. It was a very, a very demeaning name for a different nationality, calling them dogs. The way of saying that Jesus' ministry up until that time had been to the Jews, to the Jew first, remember? What was Jesus doing? Why was he coming across this way? He was testing her faith. That which was most important to Jesus was her faith. He tested it, but her faith would not be deterred. She would not give up, and she came back with an amazing retort to him. She answered with his analogy that even the dogs eat the children's or the Jews' crumbs. Even we dogs come and partake of some of the truths and doctrines of you Jews. Her faith caused Jesus to heal her daughter. You see, it was a very non-traditional method of healing. He broke the tradition. In verse 31, it says, And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. It's another non-traditional method here. Jesus traveled to another Gentile population, the coast of Decapolis. Remember, we talked about Decapolis recently. There's a city on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, a, a, a series of ten Gentile cities there. The people expected Jesus to heal by putting his hands on the deaf man. They'd seen him do it before. They'd seen Jesus heal many people. Jesus, just put your he hands on the deaf man. He'll be healed. We know that. We've seen it before. Put your hand on his head. <laughs> the traditional way you do it. Verse 33, and he took him aside from the multitude. And listen what he did. He did not put his hands on his head. 
He put his fingers in his ears. And he spit. And touched his tongue. Sounds non-traditional to me. How about you? He put his fingers in, his, in, in the guy's ears. And he spit on his finger. And he put it on his tongue. You understand? That's transferring his spit to his tongue. Can you imagine today? Good night. During COVID, can you imagine? Verse 33, and he took him aside from the multitude. He put his fingers in his ears. He spit, touched his tongue. To the man who could not hear and speak plainly, Jesus singled out from the crowd, first of all. He took his fingers, put them in his ears, and he touched his saliva to his tongue. Verse 34, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephratha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more they great deal they published it. And they were beyond, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Just put your hand on his head, Jesus. Just put your hand on his head. And I think Jesus said, no, I don't think so. Watch this. Watch this. Their tradition was sending their subscribers to hell. Let's just get this right. Their traditions were sending people to hell. And Jesus wanted desperately to break them from the mold of the importance of tradition to get them back to God's law. It's what God said, not what man said. Those 613 rules you put together in the Talmud is not that, it's God's law. Your substitutes are nothing compared to God's law. So what's the takeaway? Well, first of all, we are a tradition-prone people. We don't like to change. I told you this before, but when I first got to Illinois in my young pastorate, I was asked to teach our pastor's Sunday school class, and much like this, it was an auditorium class. And so it was one of the bigger classes. Folks would meet in the auditorium there, and then he would teach that Sundays. One Sunday he was gone. I it was my turn to teach. So I stood up in the front like this, and I didn't like it because folks just like here were spread all over the auditorium. There was a few over here, and a few way back there, and a few in the middle, and way back there and here. You know what I said? I said, tell you what, why don't you all come and move up toward the front so I can hear you better. Do you know not one person moved? Not one person moved. <laughs> that was their chair. And I wasn't going to mess with it because that was their tradition. We've all heard the horror stories, but I've seen them where a visitor comes to church 
and they go to sit down only to have somebody come in behind them and say, you can't sit there, that's my chair. You say, oh, that would never happen. I've seen it happen. And it wasn't a joke. Traditions. I think it's time for us to give up our reverence of traditions and begin once again revering God. Here's, here's, here's the rub. When somebody does something differently, we begin being critical of them, not because of a Bible reason, but because we don't do it that way. And all of a sudden, our nose is up in the air, and they're not a good Christian because they don't do it the same way we do it. All of a sudden, our tradition has been re replacing God's law. So let's be careful. Let's not revere our traditions. We need to always subject them to God's word and never allow them to become a stumbling block to somebody else. Traditions never determine spirituality. Traditions never determine spirituality. Now, don't get me wrong. Man does look on the outside. It's important. Man looks at the outside. That's, that's I took a shower last week, and there's a reason why I do that. But the most important thing we've got to remember is God looks on the heart. And when we violate our heart, then quite frankly, it doesn't matter what the outside is like. Because everything that comes out of us from that point on will be stinking in his sight. So, I think we've covered it well enough for tonight. It means so much to me that you're here tonight. Thank you. Thank you for this. And I trust that, I trust that this, this Bible study that I gave you tonight will be something you'll remember. Because uh, there's, there's going to be traditions that come, are going to come up and they're going to cause the potential for rubs. And there ought not be a place in, in believers loving one another for rubs over traditions. Let's just not do it. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. You are so good to us. Thank you for this opportunity to once again meet together and, and enjoy each other's fellowship and to bask in your presence. I pray, Lord, that you might help us in this area of traditions. And always, Lord, help us to focus on your word and the impact and principles of your word. We'll thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.